All right, good morning, good morning. Psalm 46, Psalm 46 this morning. Um, the Lord has blessed my wife and I, as uh, Dr. Pettit said, to have three children, three, five, and eight, and we just love watching them grow. Um, you know, they all went through the stages of being afraid of your, you know, your typical things, um, afraid of the dark, afraid of loud sounds. One of my oldest daughter, um, a few years back, she's probably like three or four, she starts having these night terrors and she convinces herself that these bugs are on her and they're on the wall. And this is in the middle of the night. This doesn't happen at two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon. It's like two o'clock in the morning. My wife and I cheerfully get up each time and we try to calm her down. Hey, there's no bugs there. You're okay. And no matter how much I try to calmly and logically tell my daughter that her fear is irrational, to her, it's real. It's a big deal. Thankfully, she's grown out of that, but we're all, we're afraid of things, you know, when we're little and fear still happens. And although our fears change, the fact that we fear does not change. We used to fear like wetting the bed. Maybe some of y'all still do, you know, no judgment here. But now we fear like school bills and, you know, things of that nature. We used to fear like nap time and, and bedtime. Now we fear we don't have time to get, uh, to get, to get enough sleep. The reality is all of us in some way have something, some situation, some person, some event that unnecessarily brings us fear. We are all, all naturally fearful of some troublesome circumstances that can come in our life and make us uncomfortable and bring distress or pain. For some of you, it's a fear of people and building relationships and things of that nature and making friends, that's a real fear. Some of you, it's a, a fear of being alone or you know, just feel like you have to have somebody around or you're getting anxious. Some of you are afraid of the future, whether that's immediate or, or long-term. Some of you are you know, afraid of what's gonna happen when you graduate or when the semester ends and am I, am I gonna have enough money to come back to school? The fear of the unknown can often produce anxiety and fear. If we don't have all the dots and details lined up of our future, we, you know, fear rises. You can have a very difficult home situation that nobody knows about, maybe a few people, but you know about it, and you're fearful that after this semester ends, you have to deal with that mess. Some of you might have somebody that you need to talk to, maybe lovingly confront or ask for forgiveness, and you're afraid of the person's response and the awkwardness it may bring or the consequence once you confess. Some of you have current health issues, right? And you're, you're fearful of how that's gonna affect you for the rest of the semester. Some of you may be afraid of failure. Yes, academic failure, but you're afraid of failure in general, afraid of a, a relationship ending. Maybe you just had one end and it's emotionally tough and you're thinking about it all the time. Some of you are really just afraid of singleness and you leave here, man, you know, I'm not gonna ever find a spouse. You know, I need a, it's fourth quarter and I need a buzzer beater, this is my last year. And you, you're afraid that you're gonna go into life single or you're a, you know, you're a preacher boy and you're afraid you're gonna go into ministry single. You might have some, some past trauma in your life caused by another person or personal failure that is bringing fear to your life and it's hard for you to move forward. There's a litany of reasons of why we all in our fallen nature in this fallen world would be scared, afraid. And at some point, some outside trouble will bring fear and anxiety to you. And where do we go to quell that, to squash that? Well, the psalmist here paints a picture, such a grand view of God in our text this morning, that one realizes that for God's people, fear is really unnecessary. 
The psalmist in poetic imagery and repetition makes it very clear that there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that God's people should fear if their eyes are on who he is and what he has done. And we see the major theme of this text is that because God is your ever-present protection, you must reject fear and fully trust God in all circumstances. God's perfect protection of his people and his permanent presence with his people just really encapsulates this whole psalm. It's in the beginning, it's in the middle, it's in the end. Look at uh, verses uh, one here. God is our refuge, our protection and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And then verse seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And it's bookended there in verse 11. The text, the psalmist wanted to make it expressly clear that he is with us. And what we're gonna to do today here is that first we're gonna look at who our God is in this text, and then we're gonna see our responses in light of that reality. God is your ever-present protection through turbulent circumstances. And we see in the first part of verse one that re refuge there, it's a place of protection and security. You can say fortress is actually where Martin Luther based his song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You know, many throughout the years have built refuges and fortresses and bunkers, places of protection, some better than others, but eventually they can all be penetrated. Walls of Jericho is a perfect scriptural example. God is a fortress that is impenetrable. Atomic bombs, Satan's attacks, nothing can penetrate God's protection of his people. That type of protection gives us strength. The strength is not our own strength, but God is our strength. God's people find courage and internal strength by trusting in God. When we as Christians say be strong, we mean be strong and in the power of his might. What is it about our God that brings us strength and brings us this courage? Well, we know that he is our protection, but look at that last part. We can be strong because we know that he is always there to help. That's the next stabilizing truth that permeates the Psalms, that God is present. He is with us. He is always here very present, it says, right? Like, he's not some absent father, right? Some distant father. No, he is real and accessible always. As real as the chair that you're sitting in and the oxygen that you're breathing and the person next to you, your God is present and real and available to you no matter what. And by no matter what, the text makes it clear no matter what. Look at the picture that the Psalms paints and how secure you are in God. Look at verses two and three with me. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Mountains collapsing, earthquakes, hurricanes can explode and be in havoc. Nature can just wild out, right? And you have no need to fear. And though this is poetic imagery, the message is literal. If this poetry became reality, the message would still be real and that there is absolutely nothing that can happen in this natural world that you need to fear when you realize who your God is and that he's on your side. He is your refuge, he is your strength, very present in time of trouble. You know, one of the things that COVID-19 did a couple of years ago that it was, is revealed just how fragile this world is. The entire sports and entertainment industry shut down, schools and universities worldwide shut down, went online. The economy and world financial markets, you know, devastated. World supply chain all out of whack. Toilet paper was just gone, right? People went from, you know, fighting over, you know, 4K TVs at Black Friday to fighting over the last, you know, toilet paper at Costco. But now these, these mountains here and, and the earth were supposed to be pictures of stability. 
Yet at any time, they can be unstable. You know, sometimes that which you think is stable can all of a sudden become unstable, right? You're in good health. Your, your bills are paid, good relationships, your GPA is on point, and then bam, sickness. Relationship drama, savings depleted, grades take a hit. My, one of my favorite uh, basketball players right next to Michael Jordan was Kobe Bryant, and he died in 2020, he was killed. And a lot of thoughts rushed, but one of the immediate thoughts was like, man, almost like, man, he's like, this is Kobe, he's too big to get killed like that. Death and calamity does not care about your stable life how rich you are, your future aspirations. Trouble and calamity can threaten what you think is secure and stable at any time. In a moment, this whole world can change and chaos can be the norm. And when that happens, God is saying, I am very present. I am your protection and constant when everything around you is in chaos. Stabilize and anchor yourself in me. We see as the psalm continues this theme of God's perfect protection and presence, which provides an anchor and peace even when enemies rise up against you. Look at verses four and five, uh, four and first part of verse five. There's a river, the streams whereof make the glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. So in contrast to the upheaval and chaos of the world, the psalmist paints a picture of tranquility and peace in the city where God chooses to have his presence. Check out all the references referencing God's presence with his people in his place, the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Other translations you might have have holy dwelling place or habitation of the Most High. Then we see the phrase, God is in the midst of her. The psalmist wants to make it expressly clear that God dwells and lives with his people in his place. God is in the midst of her is very important because look at the next phrase after God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God's presence brings a stabilizing anchor to our soul. So no matter what is going around around us, God is here and support us and we shall not be moved. This idea of God dwelling with us in his place has special significance to us as God's church because he has chosen to make us his dwelling place, right? Christ lives in us. We are his sanctuary. God is fully in us and around us. And we can depend on his grace as an anchor when the world and circumstances around us are going crazy. Look at the rest uh, of verse five there. We see God's uh, presence protects us from danger from our enemies. And we see the last part of verse five says, God, you know, God will help his people. There, that does not mean that we're not gonna have difficulties, but rest assured help is here. And one day every pain and form of suffering of God's people will be gone in a snap. Look at verse six. The heathen rage or nations rage, the kingdoms were moved. Same word for moved in verse five, but there's an intentional contrast there. The nations are tottered or they, they were moved, right? But God's people shall not be moved. There's an anchor for God's people. All these kingdoms and dictators and plagues have come and gone and God's people are still here and God's church is still growing. Babylon to Rome, gone, right? Even the oppressive cocky regimes of today better watch out how they treat God's people. Why? Because God is with us. He is in the midst of his people. And there is actually absolutely nothing that can happen that can thwart the stability of God's people and the advancement of his kingdom. Why? Because God is our support, Joyce. He is our anchor. God fights for us. Look at the next part of verse six. We see more of a glimpse of God's power that makes it so his people can be at rest and be secure. God utters his voice. Right? He utters his voice, and with a word, the earth melts. He doesn't have to move a muscle for whole kingdoms to just topple. 
God can just make a sound and superpowers collapse. The makeup of nature can change with his command. The winds and waves, yes, they obey him. And in verse 7 and 11 talks about the Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of armies, God fight for us and bring peace. And not only is our God with us, but he actually has a whole heavenly army at his disposal that he can send to help us at any moment. You are completely protected. The God of Jacob is your refuge. God is so supreme and mighty that no disease, sickness, and persecution or anything like that can happen to you unless it's part of God's loving plan for your life. And then you can just rejoice because he's using it to mature you in Christ. God's protection and total coverage for you is complete. Even death is, brings us more into the fully, uh, fuller into the presence of God. You know, there's many insurance companies that try to act like, oh, we got full coverage, right? And they have all these frustrating caveats. I had this garage door that had a bend in it, and my insurance policy said it covers garage door. So I call them up, like, hey, my insurance policy said you cover this. You know, we have a bend. I can't close my garage door. And they're, oh, we, we don't actually cover the physical garage door, just the mechanism that pulls it up and down. Right. Like, really? Like, I, like this says garage door. But God is not like that, right? There's no exceptions with him. He has you completely. He will protect you despite what you face. And in light of God's presence with us and the perfect protection of us, how should we respond? Well, the text gives us one main negative action that we all must reject and at least two uh, positive things that we must positively do. First, we saw that we must reject fear. We saw a collective, verse two, a collective resolve from the psalmist for God's people to not to fear no matter what. Now, fear is not just some light thing, brothers, all right, that we all struggle with. No, it's, it's oppressive, it's dangerous, it inhibits you from doing God's will, from enjoying God to the fullest, from glorifying him, from praising him like he's worthy to be praised. The devil loves fear in God's people. God hates it in his people. Why do you think there's so many encouragements and commandments throughout the Bible for you not to fear? At least 103 times in the King James Version, you know, do not fear, not, be not afraid is used. Be not afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called you my name. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not fear man. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love, of self-control. Believers, fear is a liar. If fear is rising up in you while you're doing God's will and you're uh, uh, suffering through a trial, that's not of God, right? It's of your flesh, it's of the devil. Fear is a liar because it makes you think that you're, what you're experiencing is bigger than the God who has ordained it and is in loving control over your life. It causes irrational and unbelieving and sometimes just self-destructive behavior. We must see that God is bigger than anything we may fear. Your fear is to fear God. The psalmist tells us that we have no reason to fear and should resolutely reject it. And the next two responses in this text really help us not to fear now. And you see it up there already here that we must behold the works of our God. Look at verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he had made in the earth. So this is the psalmist's invitation to, come, uh, to the people of God to look at the works of your God. Pretty much check his resume. Commentators say that this psalmist is calling God to remember the work of God through their history. Think about your God's work and mighty works through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. Think back on the Exodus and God's mighty plagues that he, he sent to devastate the world superpower uh, Egypt and allowed the people of Israel to walk on dry land and then the Red Sea collapsed on this world power, crippling them. 
And then think about Joshua and the conquest of the land and the walls of Jericho falling down and powerfully clearing the Canaanites so they can settle in the promised land that he promised to them. Think about the judges and think about the, uh, David and his, his rule and defeating Goliath and devastating the, uh, the Philistines and at least subduing them because they had been a thorn in their slide. Put your eyes on what your God has done, his mighty works. Have you checked God's resume on LinkedIn? It will blow you away. Amazing thing, you didn't connect with him, he connected with you. And that amazing, powerful, mighty working God is your God and he chose you, right? And the next part of verse eight and nine describes more of his unmatched power using military imagery that people would understand that would further encourage them and, and boost their confidence in him and make them realize, yes, he is our refuge. The scriptures and history just testify there is no person or power that comes to close to rivaling God, none whatsoever. God is undefeated and there is not one power, real or imaginary, in fantasy land that comes close to rivaling the supremacy of your God. Some people try to put like Jesus and the devil in this like cosmic battle as if there's some equal tug of war or tension. No, Jesus is God. He's, he's almighty. The devil's not in the same realm of the power of God. He's only bound by what God allows and his end is certain. Every enemy of God, including sickness and, and death, will be utterly wiped out. And really the greatest work that we should marvel in and behold is the gospel work of Jesus' death and resurrection that had already put an end of death uh, into death for us. There is nothing that can happen to you that's not part of God's loving plan for you. Behold the works of your God. Lastly, we, we need to relax and stop fighting and fully trust God. Look at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. And there's really like two commands there. Can be translated stop, uh, discontinue, stop your fighting, relax, don't panic. Do not fight against me or independent of me. Be still. Do not think that you need to make a wicked alliance with the pagan nations around you because you're scared and think you need more protection. Now be still, be at peace. Your God has made peace. The other command makes the first command happen easier and that is to know that he is God. Know that your God is God and look to what he has done. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. Stop fighting and fearing. Behold your high and lifted up powerful God. These commands are both a source of comfort for his people, but also a real warning shot to the warring pagan nations to submit and yield to his power, you're going to end up like the other nations that thought they were, you know, mightier than the, the one true God. So how do we practically be still and know that God is God? Well, it takes meditation and a habit of slowing down and communing with God. And now I'm not just talking about just knowing facts about God. No, this is deep-seated, down-in-your-soul, personal, relational, battle-ready knowledge of who your God is that gives you an anchor in a time of trial, gives you a weapon in a time of war, that gives you peace in a time of chaos. What is really revealing of how well we know God is not how much doctrinal facts you know or merely how much you read your Bible, but it's how you respond when you're in a situation that causes stress and anxiety and your circumstances are going crazy. That is truly revealing of our relational knowledge of God. So I'm sure there's many Christians that are in really persecuted areas, in areas of China and Middle East and parts of Africa, that know God way more deeply than many of us with all our Bible training and Sunday school attendance all our life. Believers, do you take time to just relax, stop, and meditate on who your God is? In the chaos of your life, do you stop and meditate on his words, his character, his gospel, so you can be at peace when things around you are not peaceful? 
The Psalms cause us to focus and trust in our ever-present, perfectly protecting God and to reject fear. So what is causing you fear and anxiety this morning? Is it an uncertain future? What happens after the semester or the school year? Some of y'all are in a major that you don't want to be in and you have no idea what you want to do and you think, man, what is I'm going to do with my life? And you're scared about it. Some of you are fearful about what happens, like I said earlier, when you get home, that stressful situation that you have to deal with. Maybe it's school pressure, pressure mounting up, papers and tests and projects, you're right, and all your professors have conspired against you and put them all in the same week. Put your mind on your great God who is with you and will sustain you like he's always done. The same present God who is here today uh, will be here five years from now. He knows you. He will guide you. Maybe it's your health conditions or, or relationship ending, and again, it just consumes your thoughts all day. Maybe it's your finances, and that's how I was. You don't know how you're going to pay for school next semester. It's no surprise that any of this stuff happens to God, right? He's not like up there like, oh, snap, I didn't know that was going to happen, right? That's not your God. He, be still and focus on who your God is, what he has done. He will help you. He will sustain you. He will protect you. For some, it's, it's that past hurt and, and trauma and failures that affects how you live in the present and makes you scared of the future. Things that have happened in the past are inhibiting you from walking by faith and knowing that God is in control. By God's grace, put your eyes off your situation on, on the God who knows your past and knows it does not define your future. He, he is God. He is loving. He's in control, right? And he knows he, he, call, he, he will give you the grace to be who you called you to be and what he has called you to do without fear. Some of you don't have anything that's causing you to be afraid or anxious, and that's praise the Lord for that, right? But that could change. Something could happen this semester. This is a rocky world. Country, for all of us, maybe 50 years from now, a country could collapse or financially or militarily and cyber weapons and, cyber and ha- hacking and nuclear warfare and all that stuff. You know, our freedoms that we enjoy as Christians are really odd and abnormal when it co- comes to church history. And the point here is not to scare you, but to prepare you that to believe that your God is God no matter what's going on. No matter what happens, your view of God and your trust in Yahweh, the Most High, the God of Jacob, has to be bigger than the fears that you face. You must see God clearer than what is causing you to fear, and that fear will become smaller and smaller. Now, my other, my, one of my other children, my son, um, some of you guys know him, when a few years ago, uh, I think it was about three or something like that, we're in our entertainment room and playroom, and we're just chilling in there, and, uh, but he has his coat on, his shoes on, and like he, need, he knows he needs to put that up. But it's down the hall, um, down our dining room hall, and it's to the right. We can see him the whole time, but it's a little dark there, and he doesn't want to because he's scared. And, we're, and myself and my other daughter are saying, hey, um, you, don't have to be, you don't have to be scared. <laughs> God is with you. God sees you. We can see you. God is there. And my son looks, you know, down the hall and he looks back at me. I don't see God. (laughs) My son could not see God, so his fears were still real and oppressive to him. And I'm just like that many times in in my life. When we are afraid and anxious and fearful, it's like we're practically saying, I don't see God. We have allowed our circumstances and fears to block our eyes of faith and not see God. What we need to do is stop focusing our eyes and minds on our fears and put our hearts and minds on God. Meditate on who he is. Think about for what he has done and allow his greatness of God and his promises to love you to dispel fear that you might have. Any fear that you might have 
Believers, when you really put your mind on God's supremacy, his majesty, his sovereignty, his might, and you couple that with his presence, his love for you, the fact that he is for you more than you are for yourself, the fact that he spared not his own son to freely give you all things, and you you combine that together and believe that, that's a powerful weapon to dispel fears in your life and increase your confidence in God. The good thing is, believers, we know that one day the threat of fear is going to be all wiped out, right? Christ is really making all things new. We're going to live together with him in his place without any threat of fear or trouble. But until that day, God is still with us on this earth. Let's put our, put our minds and our eyes on our great God, his protection of us, his presence with us. God is your ever-present protection. You must reject fear and fully trust in God in all your circumstances. Don't just know that, believe it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we don't have to depend on ourselves to, to strengthen ourselves, to, to, to bring courage in our own self. No, it's your strength. It's your might. We need Jesus to help us be like Jesus, Lord. Help us to trust you. Help us to walk out of here with a greater view of who you are so that can dispel fear and, and, and increase our confidence in you. By your grace and for your glory, amen.